David had a prayer at the first service during the prayers of the people that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Apart from his spirit, we can do nothing. I just, just pray that that will be upon our hearts, will be in our minds, it'll be upon our lips, that, that we as a community, that we as the body of Christ, we can do nothing without Christ. We can't get built up. We can't walk faithfully with Jesus. We can't encourage one another. We can't show love with each other. We can't go out and and be a witness, be a light, sitting on a hill without Jesus, without the power of his spirit living and ruling and reigning in us. Unless we're alive with the spirit of God, we can do nothing. But in Christ Jesus, we can bear much fruit. This is significant and important because um, I was listening to a, a podcast by Andy Crouch about a month and a half ago, and he made the observation that over the past 100 years, it's really interesting if you evaluate how the church has typically, or by and large, has engaged culture. Uh, 100 years ago, the, the predominant stance or posture that the church would, t- would take would be condemning the culture that because we are now exiles in, in the institutions that we began, because we're exiles, we're just gonna condemn the culture. So we're not gonna go to movies. We certainly aren't gonna make any movies. We're just gonna say culture is bad and push it aside. Just say no. And then the next generation, they didn't condemn the culture. They didn't do what their parents or their forefathers did. They critiqued the culture. This was post-World War II. They evaluated and assessed culture. They stood back and gave some theories about why the culture is the way the culture is. And the next generation didn't condemn, didn't critique, but they just copied. And that gave rise to the, the megachurch movement. And in the copying of the culture, what became really predominant was we just need to be relevant. In order to be relevant, we need to take what's popular within culture and just copy it. So what was really popular maybe in the 80s and 90s was the boy bands. So if we want to be relevant, we need to have Jesus-loving boy bands. <laughs> That's what it means to be relevant. We're going to take everything that the culture is doing and we're just going to inject it with Christian meaning. And the next generation didn't copy the culture. We just consume it, which is where we're at now. We're just going to take it all in. Anything that the culture has, we're just going to consume it. We've gone from condemning to critiquing to copying and consuming. And the problem is, is that doesn't ultimately transform or change culture. And what Andy Crouch would say is, if you want to change culture, if you want to make a difference, if you want to transform the world in which we live, we need to create and cultivate. That's the role of the church. And because the Holy Spirit is the transforming agent in the body of Christ, the only way that we can create and cultivate the kingdom of God in our culture is by being alive in the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. Because apart from him, we can do nothing That's the role of the church, is to be alive in the Holy Spirit, to bring down the kingdom, to see the kingdom of God come in the world in which we live. For the kingdom to be cultivated within the body of Christ, that we may be unified, that we may be built up, so that we can reveal Christ to the lost and a broken world. That's the role of the church, is to be alive in the Spirit, and to cultivate and to create the kingdom of God among us. That is the only way to do it. It's the only way. So in order to transform 
culture, we need to be the church that God has called us to be. In order to be the church that God has called us to be, we need to have the gifts of the Spirit. In order to have the gifts of the Spirit, we need to be alive in the Spirit. Let me say it the other way around. As we're alive in the Spirit, we have the gifts from the Spirit, we are beautified as the people of God, and we transform the culture for the glory of Christ. But in order to do all of that, we need to be empowered and endowed with the Spirit's gifts. So that's what we're going to be looking at here this morning. The gifts of the Spirit. We're going to look at the definition of the Spirit's gifts, uh, and then secondly, the shape of the gifts, and then thirdly, how do we know what gifts we have? How do we discern those gifts? So first, what is the definition of the spiritual gifts? Now, I've been working all week on this definition, so I'm going to put it up before you, and I want you to memorize it. I want to get... I want to get all the, I want to milk this for all it's worth because it took a lot of time to come up with this definition. So here we go. Spiritual gifts are abilities sovereignly given by the Holy Spirit to build up the church and to reveal Christ to the world. Okay, that's my definition of spiritual gifts. Abilities sovereignly given by the Holy Spirit for two reasons, to build up the church, to beautify the body, and then also to reveal Christ to the world. This definition has at least four components, but we're going to focus on four. The first, spiritual gifts are sovereignly given. Sovereignly given. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, these gifts are distributed according to the will of the Spirit. Verse 11, all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them, each one, just as he determines, not how we determine, on how he determines. The context by which we understand these gifts is the context of Christ, his sovereignty, the context of the Spirit. He determines how these, who, these are, who, who these are given to and how these gifts are received. But they are sovereignly given. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, When he, that is Christ, ascended on high, he took many captive and gave gifts to his people. As he ascended, he ascended to the right hand of the throne of heaven. Now, what does it mean to ascend? It means not only to go up, but it also means to go up in power. So if the queen of England ascends her throne, she goes higher than everybody else. But she also goes up in power. And when she sits on the throne, she executes the authorities of a monarch. Jesus, after he died and was resurrected and spent 40 days on earth, he ascended to the right hand of the throne of heaven. And in that ascension, he gave gifts to humanity. He gave gifts to the brothers and sisters in Christ, in him. He gave us gifts. That's the ascension. And they're to be used under his sovereign rule and reign. That's the context of the gifts. And it's important because the context determines everything. Now, some people have have said... The reason why I am skeptical of spiritual gifts is because I was at a church where spiritual gifts were used, like tongues or prophecy or healing or signs and wonders, miracles. I was in a church that used those gifts, and it divided the body. And I would say the reason why, when you look at gifts being displayed or exercised within the church, when they, get, when they divide the body and don't unify, it's because they're outside of the context of how God has intended them to be used. It's for the purpose of building up the body not adding more prestige to the person who's exercising the gifts. They have to be in the right context. The purpose for the gifts are to beautify the church and to reveal Christ to the world. It makes all the difference in the world how we use and the context by which we use those gifts. Question, what does a runner on Mars, a fish on the couch, and a snowman in Florida have in common? 
out of context. <laughs> Absolutely, they don't, they get alienated, they fall apart. And when we have been alienated from the very source for which we were created, we fall apart. Things unravel, there's division. Gifts have to be used under the right context, which are under God's authority, God's rule, God's reign, they, because the gifts are sovereignly given. And the solution for the misuse of gifts is not the no use, but the proper use. It's the proper use of gifts. Gifts, when they're misused, doesn't mean that we, pro, we, we, we stop the gifts. It means that the gifts need to be corrected or the person that's using the gift. Because the problem is not in the spiritual gift. The problem is in the unspiritual person. And to be spiritual, we're coming under his rule and reign. So that's the first point, is that gifts are sovereignly given in the context of a sovereign Lord who determines who gets the gifts that he wants them to be received by and exercised accordingly. Number two, number two, gifts are given by the Spirit. Gifts are given by the Spirit. Uh, in verse one of chapter 12, it says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. Now that word gifts of the Spirit is actually one word. Numa spirit, tikas, the ones, the spiritual ones. So there's a connection between the spirit and the people of God. It's not like the spiritual gifts are separate from the spirit. The spirit and the people are one. Going on in verse four through seven, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, in every one, it is the same God at work. Listen, verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. There is a connection between the Spirit and the gifts. The manifestation of the Spirit in us is the spiritual gifts. Because often, when we think about spiritual gifts, sometimes we think about outside in. That it's a gift that's kind of, it's wrapped in a ribbon, in a bow, and it's given from the outside and given to you. That's not, that's not the, the image here. Or when you go to a Nuggets game and you have a little blimp fly around and it drops little coupons, that's oftentimes what we think about as spiritual gifts, waiting for the, the gifts to kind of fall from the outside. That's not the image. Gifts don't come from the outside in, gifts come from the inside out. It's the very presence of God. It's the Holy Spirit in us, manifesting himself in us and through us to a lost and a broken world. It's the manifestations of the Spirit. And that's why rejecting the gifts of the Spirit is so serious. Because to reject the gifts, we're rejecting the gift giver who is the Spirit. The gifts and the Spirit go together. So we don't reject the gifts. We live fully into whatever the Bible promises us because when we receive the gifts, we receive the gift giver who is the Spirit of God. That's number two. The third part of this definition is that the gifts are for the purpose of building up the church. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Now, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, the common good of the church. And he goes also on to say in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, so Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The purpose of the gifts is to build up the body. The gifts are not for the purpose of privilege. These are divine responsibilities that we use in service to one another. These aren't privileges. These are divine responsibilities. 
Sometimes when I, when, when I fly, I'll go up to the, the, the attendant and I'll say, are there any exit rows available? Because if I get an exit row, I get the luxury or the space of first class without paying for first class. I get to stretch out. And the, the, the few times that I got the exit row, the flight attendant will come up and they'll say, okay, do you know you're sitting in an exit row? And I said, yes, I do. And then they'll say, do you understand the responsibilities that in case of emergency, you are responsible for seeing people out in a safe way? Will you take up this responsibility? Yes. Okay. I don't go to the flight attendant early on and say, are there exit rows available? Because I want to be, avail- I want to be available in case of an emergency. The reason why I want the exit row is so that I can stretch out. <laughs> and sometimes what we do is we treat spiritual gifts like the exit row seat. Gifts are not privileges. They are responsibilities that the Lord entrusts to us for the purpose of serving one another and building up the body of Christ. That's why he gives it to us. And when the church is operating in the spiritual gifts that he's given us, the church gets beautified and Christ gets glorified. In fact, I want to just give you a snapshot of what would happen with us as a church as we continue to live in the spiritual gifts. Again, we can't conjure up, we can't dictate, we can't determine. These are all given by the Spirit. And as we as a church live into the gifts of the Spirit, we are unified. We grow in maturity. These are the promises of Scripture. We grow mature, full in Christ, stable, complete. We live in the truth. We grow in the knowledge of Christ. We are built up in love. That's the promise for us as a church as we live into these gifts because the purpose of the gifts is to build up the church. And lastly, the last part of the definition is is that in the gifts, we reveal Christ to the world. We reveal Christ to the world. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul's prayer is, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power, which is at work in those who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule, authority, power, and dominion in every title that can be given in this age and the age to come. Verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet for who? For the church. Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The fullness of Christ is revealed in and through the church. We reveal Christ to the world. That's the jaw-dropping promise that scripture gives us. Do we know this? Do we live into it? I don't know if you've ever played connect the dots, but if you have like one, two, th- the, the goal is to connect like one, two, and you, you connect it all. And when you begin to draw it, it, you're not sure what it looks like. What's the picture? It starts out, well, maybe it's a fish. Maybe, no, it's a camel. You keep drawing. Okay, no, it's an okapi. And you finish it up, and, and there it is. There's the okapi. But you don't see the picture until all of the dots are connected. You are a dot, And as our lives are connected in with one another, we reveal to the world the glory of Christ. It's like the puzzle piece. As the scripture was read, each one has a unique gift. Every person is gifted in a unique way. And you are like a puzzle piece. And as we come together, we reveal something of Christ to the world. We are a picture of Jesus, the fullness of Christ. And this is what the world needs to see. Spiritual gifts are the abilities sovereignly given by the Spirit to build up the church and to reveal Christ to the world. 
Okay, that's how we transform culture and that's how we are built up as a church. Secondly, what are the shape of the gifts? How do we categorize these gifts? We have to look at Christ. Now, how did Christ establish the church? How does Christ build up the church? Martin Luther would say by executing three offices, the prophet, priest, king. Jesus was not just a prophet, he was the ultimate prophet because he not only delivered the word, he was the word. He was the ultimate priest because he not only delivered the sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. He was the ultimate king because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He established the church by exercising the roles of prophet, priest, and king. And we can categorize all of these gifts under one of these three categories. So priestly gifts are those that bring God's word or God to the world. So for example, teaching and preaching is the ability to help people learn. Evangelism is bringing the word to people who don't, do not yet know Christ. It's the ability to help people believe. It was said of uh, Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusader, what's now called Crew, that if you, got a, if, you didn't, if you did not know Jesus and you were on the ground floor at an elevator and you're going up to the fourth floor, but that by the time you went from floor one to floor four, you would come to know Jesus. And there was like a revival in the elevator. Like everybody came to know Christ. That's the gift of evangelism. Now, I, I need to do um, a tangent a little bit here because the temptations have fallen into one of two di- ditches, either to do, to do gift cop-out or to do gift projection. Gift cop-out says... Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so therefore I'm not going to evangelize. So somebody in your neighborhood comes up to you and they say, you know, I'm really spiritually hungry. I'm thirsting for everlasting purpose. I want to know what everlasting life is all about. And I've heard that you're a Christian. Can you please tell me more about your Savior? If you don't have the gift of evangelism, you can't say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Go talk to somebody who does. That's gift cop-out. And we can do that with any of the gifts with any of the gifts, or there's gift projection. Because I have the gift of evangelism, that means everybody must have the gift of evangelism, and everything that the church is about must be evangelism. That's gift projection. Okay, but the point is, is that these are all prophetic gifts, preaching, teaching, evangelism, prophecy and tongues is so significant. We're going to be talking about that in two weeks. That sermon is going to be exclusively devoted to to those two uh, two gifts. Okay, so come back. Or maybe not, I don't know. The second (laughs) role is priests. Now, priestly gifts, if prophetic gifts bring the word to the world or to the people, priestly gifts bring the people to God. So they're helping gifts. Priestly gifts are based on understanding and supplying basic needs. They represent other people to God and are marked by sympathy and sacrifice. That's the definition from Tim Keller. So you have uh, gifts like encouragement, which is literally imparting courage in courage. It's like adrenaline for the soul. Gift of helps is the ability to offer true assistance, and this is important, without usurping. That's the gift of helps. Without usurping. It's not like me helping out my fourth grader in her math. When I get frustrated, I say, Hope, just give me the math. I'll do it for you. That's, that's usurping. I'm not assisting her without usurping. I'm taking it over. That's not the gift of helps. Next, pastor is knowing and providing for what a person needs to grow. Lastly, giving. Um, Giving great percentages. When you hear somebody that's in need, that's the first thing that you think about. Now, if you don't make much money, you may say, well, I don't have the gift of giving then. This is the gift of giving, not the gift of earning. When you're willing to give radical percentages away and you realize this is the gift that God has given you in order to help other people that are in the body of Christ, that's the gift of giving. Giving. 
It's a priestly gift. So important. Do you see how significant this is? Third rule, kingly. Kingly gifts are the abilities based on understanding and direction that the group needs. It moves the group together in unity. And they represent Christ's vision for the community, for others. So uh, apostle is a founder's gift. They, they begin to plow new ground. Leadership is providing unity in a group toward a preferred future. Administration is the ability to organize a task, providing clarity and empowerment to get the task done. This is significant. I once heard somebody describe the gift of administration like the helmsman in a boat. If the leader is the captain, they'll say we want to go from point A to point B. The helmsman is the one who determines, you know, based upon the wind, when do the sails go up, how to steer the boat. They take it tactic by tactic in order for the goal to be realized. That's the gift of administration. Chris Binkley on our staff has this in spades. If there's one who carries the vision, that's the senior leader. We're going from point A to point B. Chris Binkley is the helmsman that allows us to do it tactically in a way that's wise. Really important gift. They're all really important. (laughs) Next, faith. It's not saving faith, but it's the ability to envision a goal clearly. John Wimber describes this gift spelled out as R-I-S-K. That's risk. Last, wisdom. With the ability to solve a problem or take the myriad of ideas and distill them down to the most effective decision. Most effective decision. That's the shape of the gifts. Lastly, how do we discern the gifts that God has given us? Now, the Bible does not have a four-step process for discerning your gifts. It doesn't. And I know that there's spiritual gift tests out there, and those are fine as far as they go. But I would, I would appeal to you that based upon what Scripture says, there are two things that we are called to do in order to discern the gifts that God has given you. The first, because they are sovereignly given by the Spirit, we are called to be in relationship with the Spirit. If you want to know how God is calling you to act or react in a situation, it's by being in relationship to the Spirit and listening to what the Spirit is telling you to do in the midst of that specific situation. But the second is to be embedded in community. Because it's for the purpose of building up the body, we have to understand where the body hurts, aches, where are their needs. And as we are dependent upon the Spirit, embedded in community, we listen to the Spirit, and we know how the Spirit is inviting us into to meet those real needs. Because again, the Spirit gives us gifts. They're sovereignly given by Him to build up the church and to reveal Christ to the world. And it happens in both ways. Dependence upon the Spirit understanding the needs of the community. So when you're talking with somebody, ask the Lord, what do you want me to say to this person? Are you giving me a word of encur- giving me to give to them a word of encouragement? If they tell you, yeah, I'm feeling really oppressed, I'm hearing voices, heavy, you say, hey, can I pray that you'd be delivered from this? And just invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Are they sick in some way? Ask, can I pray for healing for you? Listen to what the Spirit is inviting you into in the midst of a very specific situation. And he gives you those gifts to be able to build up the body of Christ. And this is what it looks like. It looks like Greg Hearn, who felt prompted by the Spirit to tell the gospel to a well friend the other day, and he led him to Christ. Patty Stitcher, using her spiritual gift of mercy and the word of knowledge in transformational prayer sessions. Heather Wilkins, the gift of administration to help organize our synod that we hosted a few months back. 
a team using their gifts of help and mercy to get furniture picked up for a single mom moving into transitional housing. That took place in our congregation. It's Jane Sherless using her gift of encouragement to write letters to every woman at Wellspring one summer. It's neighborhood shepherds using their gifts of pastoring. It's this congregation using the gifts of giving that allowed us to purchase this facility and to renovate it over the course of the past 18 to 24 months. That's what it took. It's the congregation using the gifts that God has given her in order to build us up and to reveal Christ to the world. And when that takes place, there is nothing more powerful. I love this quote by Frank Viola, and I'll end with this. Evil spirits desire to inhabit human bodies because they crave expression. That's the whole point of possession. They seek to take over a human body so that they can express themselves through it, employing it for wicked purposes on earth. Jesus seeks to make his life visible through the many-membered being, the body of Christ. The church exists to express God on the earth. What we want to see is the kingdom of God come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how is that possible? It's through the body of Christ, the church being filled with the spirit, exercising the spirit's gifts that he has entrusted to us. I'm all about caring for our local elementary school. We need to do that. I'm all about spreading mulch on their playground. That's really, really important. The kingdom of God is not less than that, but it is so much more. Because when I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what Jesus Christ did, proclaiming the kingdom, performing signs, wonders, miracles, seeing people come to know Jesus, come to know him as a result of proclaiming the gospel and the good news of the kingdom, things happened. And as I read that, I just don't want to read it. I want to experience it. I want to live into it as the body of Christ for us to experience and to live into all of the promises that Christ has given us. And how is that possible? It's by being alive in the spirit, receiving his gifts, being built up as the church and to reveal Christ to a lost and a broken world. That's the power of spiritual gifts. Oh.